about uh, a mom that came in to wake up her son on a day a lot like today and she said get up son it's time to go to church he said ma I don't want to go to church today it's raining outside it's cold outside it's a day just for sleeping in and she says you have to get up and he said give me two good reasons why I need to get up she said because you're 50 years old and you're the pastor Believe it or not, even the pastors sometimes want to worship at St. Mattress, you know, so, uh, but you've made it, you're here. We're talking about Christianity 101. We're talking about what it really means to be a Christian. We've been looking at, at, at some key passages in the last couple of weeks about that. Second Peter 1.10 says this, be diligent to make sure about God's calling and choosing you. Two weeks ago, what we found out was that when we step into this journey full out with Christ, we actually change on the inside. We become something new in our spirit, a new creation. And we studied those words, and it really means something never seen before. It's really the purpose of God down through the ages to make the new creation, you and me, his little sons and daughters, who will rule and reign with him forever, the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation. We learned that this is boot camp that we're in right now, learning how to be overcomers. We learned last week that trials cannot destroy faith. Trials cannot destroy our faith. They only test it. And if a trial takes you out and takes your faith away, there really wasn't real faith. Because what we found was that this new creation, when a trial comes upon us and we've been made new by God, by stepping into this journey and accepting all that he did for us on the cross, then what trials do? They activate perseverance. And perseverance has a result that makes us even more mature and whole and complete. So God uses these trials to complete us. And so we'll be found, it says in the Bible, we'll be found through trial to either be persevering or to be standing apart from God. And those were the words from Jesus that we studied Last week, if you want to go back and grab that online, if you missed it, you can see that. But today I want to talk to you about another test. I want to talk to you about what, what I'm calling the obedience test. And we get that from uh, the book of 1 John. Now, it's so interesting. I'm so captivated as I study this by the personality behind the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And John the, the, in the Gospels, he wrote all of those books. He was the only apostle, really, that wasn't martyred, that wasn't killed for his faith. He lived to be up into his 90s, uh, many uh, experts believe. And he was really the last one that the church had to, to tell them what it was like to walk with Jesus. For many years, everyone else that had walked with Jesus was gone. He was the last one around. And Jerome, one of the early church fathers who was in the second generation, gives us information about John. They said they used to bring him in when he was 90 years old. He couldn't walk anymore, but they would bring him in on a pallet and set him down in front of the whole congregation. And he would rise up on one elbow with all the strength that he had, and he would say, little children, love one another. And every time they brought him in, that was his message, and it was done. And, you know, everybody loved when John preached, I guess, because that was it. And finally, some people started saying, that's too easy. That's too, I mean, that's not enough, not, not enough to that. And so this time, John got up on his elbow and he said, little children love one another. 
This was the command of our Lord Jesus, and if you do it, it's enough. John was trying to tell us that there's some things that really show whether we're a believer or not. And so, I want us to look at that because as your pastor, I have a a deep concern for you and for our children, all of our children, that we would be inoculated just enough with just enough religion or Christianity that we would miss the real thing. You know how a little bit of dead flu can keep you from having the real thing? You get that little inoculation, right? And, and that little flu shot and it's just the dead flu virus and it, it makes you immune to the real thing. Well, sometimes we see that when people have kind of a false understanding of what Christianity is and, and, and think it's kind of a surfacey kind of thing or, or if your parents had that and you saw it in them or you're demonstrating that for your kids, they'll be inoculated with just enough so that they say, well, I've seen what that is and that doesn't seem like it has anything, any power in it. And it's so false, it's so untrue because there's this radical, life-changing power in Christianity and so I want us to look at that because you know there, there's kind of a caricature of Christianity that's out there in America today but it was true in John's day for instance the caricature says that Christianity is primarily a religion that's about the behavior of people totally false what Christianity is about is a deep internal life change that results in a different behavior but that's very different because the behavior comes from who we are deep within, not just a surface thing. What are people going to think about me? Or can I get my good to outweigh my bad and kind of win over God's favor? None of that stuff. There's this deep change as we become the new creation. The caricature tells us that Christianity's attitude toward life is essentially negative. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. But what Christianity really is, it's this amazing full, free, abundant life that we enter into with Jesus. The caricature says that the facts upon which Christian, the Christian faith rests, like the, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, are just stories or legends that have kind of gathered around the figure of Christ down through the, the centuries. But what Christianity really is, it, say, it says, you can know the truth by the deep life change within you where the rubber meets the road, where Christianity, because it changes you deep on the inside, it is relevant and powerful and makes a change in the nitty-gritty down and dirty of real everyday life. You know, we kind of do a lot of times like the two little boys that I heard about, five and three, Ryan and Bobby, and they were fighting over the first pancake on Sunday morning. Their mom was making special pancakes. And so they're yelling at each other, I get the first one, I get the first one. And mom says, WWJD, what is that? What would Jesus do? They'd been studying it, you know. And so Bobby, the five-year-old, he just said Jesus would give away the first pancake. And then he kind of brightened up and he goes, Bobby, you be Jesus. <laughs> kind of a surfacey thing, right? And... and We've kind of all experienced that sometimes. But what, what, what the Bible says, there's going to be this deep, deep life change within us. Let's look at, if you want to look in your sermon notes, I've got 
some of the scriptures there, or you can turn to 1 John chapter 2 or look up on the screen. But I want you to take a few notes along the way. He starts out, John does, he says, my dear children. Now John's 90, so it doesn't matter if you're 60, you're still a child to him, okay? So he's calling everybody his dear children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is an amazing passage because what it's saying is your sin might not be just a little white lie. It might be something deep and terrible and awful. But what he's saying, if you took all of the weight of the sin of all of the world down through all of the ages, the worst of the worst, and you think of all of the worst people who have ever lived, and then you add on everybody else's sin to that, Christ's death on the cross is big enough to cover all of that. And that's an amazing freeing thing that we can step into, that we can know that. Verse 3, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. This is such an interesting key verse right here. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The tenses of the verb know here are interesting in the original language, the Greek. The first is the present tense and the second is the perfect tense. So it really reads like this. We know and continue to know and are knowing that we have come to know him at a point in time and it continues on to now. And the word keep means to guard or watch over some precious thing. So what is the, the precious thing? His commands. And it's interesting, the word commands, it's not, there's two words for commands that John uses. One is nomos, and that means the Old Testament law. That's not what he uses here. The word he uses here is intellect, which means the precepts of Jesus. What Jesus taught, we hold as precious the things that Jesus taught us. And we focus down hard on that, and we obey that, and we love that, and we care about that. How do you know you're a Christian? He's saying here, you know you're a Christian because there's this consistent, constant guardianship of the precepts and the words of Jesus deep down inside you. And the determination within you to do those things. You have a new want to on the inside to do this. It's not just saying, well, I prayed a little prayer and, you know, signed a little card or joined a church or did these different things. That's not what he's talking about here. You know, we say, well, I just don't want to get all carried away. I hope my kids don't get carried away. You know, hope that, hope that um, you know, Jesus will help me make a little more money and maybe he'll show me how to have a little happier life and and, and maybe a few tidbits to make my marriage better. That's not what John's talking about here. What's the difference between non-believers and believers? Most people in America, I think, would say, well, non-believers don't believe in Jesus Christ and believers do. But John is saying, wrong. That's not it. The world is full of non-believers who believe. You say, that doesn't make any sense, Mark. I don't get that. That's what John is saying. He said, the world is full of non-believers who believe in Jesus. People that are not new creations. 
that have never really stepped in to all that we're talking about, what Jesus did on the cross and given up all of their life and all of their hopes and all of their dreams and everything that they are to Jesus and said, I give it all to you and I accept what you've done for me. And then the life change, the new creation happens on the inside. The Bible says that even the devil believes in Jesus, that believes he's the son of God. He's not a new creation, but he's, he knows the truth. I mean, he's been around He's seen it all, and he knows what's real and what's not. And so he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, but he is not a new creation on the inside. Look what he says, John says in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Now, that's one of the things I like about John. He's, he's called the apostle of love. But did you know he didn't start out being called the apostle of love? He wasn't the one that said, little children love one another he used to be called boanerges you know what that means he and james his brother the sons of thunder why did they call them the sons of thunder because of their temper for instance one day jesus was coming to a little village and they said jesus we don't want you here you're too controversial we don't want to hear your teachings Uh, might cause a little bit of an uproar we're not into that so just pass us by and james and john came to jesus and said huh you want us to call down fire from heaven on just, just, just make a, just a pit out of that city? That would be awesome, God. We would love to do that for you. Just tell us and we'll do it. And we'll, you know, have a little bonfire and weenie roast right there. The sons of thunder. Wasn't much love in it. Jesus said, whoa, guys, whoa. You know? That's not why I came. That's not what I'm about. But he says this. So you see the little son of thunder kind of coming through whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands you're a liar and the truth is not in that person but if anyone obeys his word love for God is truly made complete in them Jesus says it in Luke 6 46 he says why do you call me Lord Lord but you don't do anything that I say It's so interesting because so many times we would see Jesus maybe in our mind's eye as being critical in that moment. But I don't think so. I think he's full of love. I think he's looking at these little ones around him. You know, the ones that he so longs to be his sons and daughters, his brothers and sisters. And he's just looking into their eyes and maybe even his eyes are welling up a little bit with tears. And he says, why do you call me Lord? But you don't do anything I say. You don't do anything I command. You don't follow any of my precepts. It's a willingness to keep his commandment, John is saying. That's the sign of a valid relationship. Now, don't reverse this. Don't change it around. You cannot know God by attempting to keep his commandments. That's not possible. So this is really important that we get this. Because a lot of people say, well, I'm going to try really hard to keep your commands, God. And there, if my good outweighs my bad, then maybe, you know, it'll all work out and you'll accept me. And that guy goes, uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. You come to me knowing that you're empty with nothing, that you have nothing to offer me. And you step in to what I did for you on the cross. That's why I came. I came to give you this free gift. And as you receive that, you become the new creation. And then the new creation has a new desire. And that is to walk with me and to follow me. I have a little dog at home, Itzy. 
She is a, a Maltese. You wouldn't know it because I keep her hair cut short because we're bad dog owners and, and don't want to groom her very often. But she is the yippiest little dog. Drives me crazy sometimes. I mean, you ca- if you came to my house, I would be trying to talk to you at the front door and there would be someone at our feet going, yip, 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 yip. one of those kind of dogs. Yeah, that you just like, why do you even have that, right? What's that little r- yippy rat thing doing down there? Um, why does she bark like that? You know why? Because she's a dog. That's what dogs do. Dogs are yippy. Dogs are, they bark. That's what they do. That's her nature. Why do you follow God's commands? Why do you follow Christ's precepts? This is what John is saying. Because you're the new creation. That's who you are. You really almost, you just can't help yourself. That doesn't mean you don't fall on your face sometimes. But it means there's a new want to in you that follows hard after him. And that's what he's talking about there. A lot of professing believers talk as if Jesus was real, but their actions look like he's not. So don't just believe words, look at actions. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Again, don't mix it up. He's not saying here, if you try really hard and you do God's commands and do them as best you can, then you'll get into heaven. He's saying, when you step into all that I've done for you, you will keep my commands. And it's just an outward it's, it's an outward understanding, an outward outflow of what's deep within. My dad always said it like this when I was growing up. What we believe, we live out. Everything else is just religious talk. That impacted me so much as a, as a teenager. Because I would look around at even adults that were active in the church a lot of times. And I, I would see this, this kind of fakiness. And, and, and it was kind of that being a pastor's kid. You know, it's easy to get a little inoculation of Christianity and go like, I don't know, that looks kind of, I mean, it doesn't seem very, very real. What we believe, we actually live out. The rest is just religious talk. Titus 1.16 puts it this way, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. You know, when a, a warrior comes back from war like when one of you guys comes back or gals comes back from Afghanistan or or Iraq and and you've been there maybe you signed up for a couple of terms even to go over there and you've seen war you've known war firsthand and you come back and you say I know war and I could say well I know war but it's ridiculous I don't know war at all I know about war but I don't know the deep hurt the deep tragedy, the adrenaline that flows, the, the, the things that happen in the midst of war. You know it. I don't know it. There's, that's what he's saying. There's a deep knowledge of God here. It's not just a surface thing. There's a deep knowing of God. 1 John 5, 3 says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. You see, he, he's saying... It's unthinkable that if you really know God that you would think his commands are burdensome because you would know how much he loves you. And you would know basically his commands are there to benefit you. 
It's, it's like a parent saying, don't play in the street if there's a negative command. It's like a parent saying, do live this out and walk in this and, and live abundantly. I want you to have that. I want you to know that. I think it's ironic that today people a lot of times would say, if you know the love of God, you don't have to worry when you go on and sin. Just he's going to forgive you because you know how much he loves you. God is love. You know what John says? No, that's, that's totally erroneous. If you know the love of God, you won't be able to go on in sin. You can't continue to live that way. It's not possible to live that way. You can't help yourself. You've got to do something different. It, it's, it, it's, there must be something powerful about this knowledge, this, this capacity to produce obedience. It, it's so certain that John says to anyone who doesn't live out Jesus commands you're a liar you, you really don't know him you are a liar you know it's interesting because Judas knew Christ but he didn't know him in this way he he, he surfaced knew him he didn't have this deep walk with him and, and you know it, it's it's something in America today we've got to realize that Jesus does doesn't give out helpful hints for happy living and he's not like the therapist in the sky suggesting you might want to try his techniques if you want to. He gives commands. I mean, these are commands, precepts from him. And you know if you've stepped into them or not. You know if you're walking with him or not. Because they start to come out in your life. And they're precious to you. And you're holding tight to them. This is how we know we are in him. Verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? In total unrelenting dependence upon his father. And that's what we need to know. See, Christianity is not us kind of saying, God, you sure need me. And, and so I'm going to try. I've got a lot of abilities and I'm going to try to give them over to your kingdom. Christianity is coming to him and saying, God, I just have to have what you've done on the cross for me. I can't. There's nothing, nothing else that I offer. You've offered everything, but I step into it, I accept it, I receive it. Then we become the new creation on the inside, and we see resurrection power. That's what the Bible talks about, that we'll see the fellowship of his suffering, which none of us really want, and his resurrection power. I know in America today, most of the really popular evangelists and stuff always talk about the resurrection power, but there's the fellowship of his suffering too. Why? Because we studied a couple weeks ago, that's what's going to bring perseverance, right? The trials. They test our faith. They, they don't, can't destroy it if we're a new creation. But they, they activate something in us. Perseverance that completes us and finishes us out. And the amazing thing about resurrection power, it works best in a graveyard when everyone else has given up. When there's death all around and there's nothing that's possible from a human standpoint. That's when resurrection power comes into play and we see it so rarely in our day and I think God wants us as community of faith to show it all the time that we would walk in this dependence with him and when everyone else is discouraged and down and disheartened that we would see resurrection power in that moment coming through us Wycliffe Bible translator Doug Meelan and his wife moved to a village in Brazil to to minister to the Felino Indians they lived way way out in the jungle had very little contact with anyone. He was referred to 
by them as the white man. And that was a derogatory term, the white man. Because they had been mistreated, exploited, and taken advantage of by white men in the past. But Doug and his wife, they learned the language. They knew some medicine, and so they began to bring some of their medicine to the Fellini Indians. And, and what happened as, as he worked with the Indians, they said, well, we're going to change your name from the white man to the respectable white man. But then one day they saw Doug, and he was down on his hands and knees, and he had a little child who had an infected, bloody, stinky foot, and he was cleaning it off. And he was taking care of it, cleaning it up. And they changed his name from the respectable white man to the man that God sent to the Felino Indians. Because they saw something in him. They saw something different. Something that he couldn't have produced on his own. Verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. Which you've had since the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. It's truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Yeah, it's old. It's been around as old as the Bible, but it's new because when you become this new creation, it's brand new for you. And the darkness is passing. That, what that says is we're not perfect by a long shot, but it's passing. It, it's going. It's becoming brighter in our lives. Do you see that in you? Is that happening in you and then he closes out and I want to just really hit this hard right at the end here okay he says let me just kind of give you one specific example in case you don't know yet if you're a believer or not verse 9 anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the dark anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them that makes them stumble but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. He says, you can know if you're a believer or not if there's hate in your heart. I talked to a woman one time and she said, I just can't forgive them, Pastor. I cannot forgive this person. And let me tell you what they did to me. And it was horrific. It was horrible. And I said, you know what? Your feelings are totally valid. But you're lying to yourself. If you're a believer, you can forgive. And she said, oh, I can't. I can't do it. And I said, well, then you need to really be honest with yourself. If you truly can't forgive, then you're not a believer. You need to be honest. Because a believer, it says, can forgive. If you have hate, you're still in the darkness. If you can't let it go, you're still in the darkness. This is a powerful, powerful word. He's saying, that's the test. Some of us, we're holding on to something and we won't let it go. Say, Mark, you don't know what they did to me. I can't let it go. Yeah, you can. If you have a relationship with Christ, you can. He's the one who forgave them even as he came to us, stepped out of heaven and all that meant. And we crucified him. And as he lay, as he hung there dying. And he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, I, I, I want you to forgive them. That's what he did. And we can do that too. 
If you say, I can't, then you need to face up to the fact John is saying that you're not a believer yet. And you need to step into this because he will give you the power to do it. I want you to listen to these last two verses. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. He lives in you. His Spirit lives in you. He wants to love out through you. And he says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, and again, I used to read it like, okay, I'm going to work really hard to keep your commandments because I want to show you that you love me. That's not what he said. He said, when you have this love for me, when you truly, deeply love me, and we have this love relationship because you've stepped into what I've done on the cross, you can't help it. You will keep my commands. You will want to do that. When my children were small, they all played soccer. And I remember my son playing soccer. And you know, when they're really little, they running around out there. They're not like separated out and play in their different positions. It's like a little amoeba, right? Running around after the ball. And I, I remember when they were that small, they all kind of looked the same. They almost had the same haircuts. They, they had their little soccer shorts and t-shirts and their little shin guards and all of that. And, you know, you could hardly tell them apart. But I always knew which one was my son. Because I'd watched him as he learned to walk. I watched him the first time he began, began to run. And he had a very distinctive gait. I think all of us would know what our children look like. If we just saw them running or walking, we'd recognize their walk. Because we love them. We know them. A Christian, the Bible is saying, has a very distinctive walk. And you can know them. It's because they love. It's because they follow it's because they thirst for God and they, they want to follow through. And they won't continue to live in sin because they, they just can't. It's not possible. You see, if you can continue in your alcoholism or you can continue living in, in some of the, against some of the precepts of God, whether it's sex outside of marriage or, or, or lying or being a thief or or whatever it might be, even just being proud. What is it saying? If, if you can continue to do that, you haven't stepped in yet. I want you just to close your eyes for a minute. I want you to hear Jesus. He's right before you. And again, I think his eyes are welled up with tears. And for some of us in this room, as he looks at us, it's almost like he puts his hands on our shoulder and he says, little son, little daughter to be, why do you call me Lord? But you don't do what I'm asking you to do. Step into the journey for the very first time. Some of you, the darkness is passing. You still got some in there. And he's put his hand on maybe one or two or three things this morning. It's time to move on past that. It's time to keep going forward and you long to and you want to shows that you're in God has so much for you I'm going to ask our prayers to come and stand across the front here those who have asked to pray for you they're just like you but the Bible says there's so much power when a couple of us get together and pray there's so much power when the church prays and this is the church you are the church Robin's going to come back and sing that, just a reprise of the little song, Your Praise Will Ever Be On My Lips. But I want it to do something. I want it to go all the way from your lips down to your feet, okay? 
And some of you need to step out and step up here and just say, there's someone I've, I need to forgive and I need you to pray with me. And I need to start that process right now. I, I don't even know how I can, I can, I don't know how I can do it, you, what they've done to me. And you just confess all of that and just say all of that and you begin the process of forgiveness. I can't do it, Pastor. Well, you're not a believer yet. Step out, come up here and say, I want to step into this relationship to be a believer so that you can start to do what God's asked you to do. We're baptizing today out there. Some of you need to get baptized. You're baptized as a baby, but you've never followed through as an adult. That was your parents saying, I want to raise this kid up in the church. Now you can bring it full circle and say, I step in. Well, I don't get it. I don't, why would I dip underwater? I don't understand what that's all about. Because Jesus asked you to. It's one of his commands. It's one of his precepts. You know, it's interesting because I think God's already baptizing a little, right? And we'll dip you underwater and you'll be baptized. You'll be sprinkled by God at the same time. Be an amazing thing today. It's not to be a part of this church. It's just to obey Christ. We have a membership class apart from that that you can look at an orientation class and decide if you want to be with us. But obey. Do whatever. Some of you need to pray for someone, a son or a daughter that's far from God. You've got someone in your, on your heart or in your life and maybe, maybe it was even you that inoculated them against Christianity and now you've come into it and you've changed but they've never seen it. Would you come and pray for them? God wants to work some miracles right now. Circumstances are irrelevant to an all-powerful God. I want you to stand. You can come and pray. You can go out and get baptized. Don't run out to the parking lot because they're going to baptize you. Let's sing together and let's close out this service with praise and put some feet to our praise.